All right. Um, get your Bible and turn with me to Genesis 32. And if you're an expert in working a Bible, then you can also go to Galatians chapter 5. And you're probably thinking, how are we getting Genesis 32 and Galatians chapter 5 to work together? Because um, God is awesome, everybody. And so, um, but we are in a series that we called Identified. Identified. And I just felt like God really wanted to speak to the issues of identity. Um, we have a nation that I feel like, uh, at, by and large, we have so many people wrestling with the idea of identity and the concept of identity. I've never, we've never lived in a day and age where people, and, and I'm not, these are not the jokes, so don't laugh, um, because my heart is broken, because we have people that don't know what their pronouns are. And they don't know what their gender is. And we feel like, you know, I don't even know what the last count. I read something one time, there, was seven, there were 70-something genders. Um, and when you go to the Word of God, there aren't. When you study the original Hebrew um, and Greek texts, there, there aren't. There, there, there's masculine and there's feminine. And gender in the Bible always aligns with sex. It's not, a, it's not a social construct in the Bible. And so to me, and I realize, I, I know that's offensive to some, and, and in our culture, just saying that, some would call that hate speech. And it's not hate speech, it's truth speech. And the reality is we need truth because we can't be the source of our own truth. We can't be our own guiding light, right? We, we cannot be the source of us. That's the whole message of the gospel. We are not adequate to be our own source. We need the Spirit of God to be our source. And, and we don't work well without the Spirit of God central in our life as the source of our life, guiding our lives and leading our lives. That's the whole reason Jesus came, right? And so Jesus came to give us the source. We were disconnected from God, and Jesus came to connect us back to God. We, we lost the breath of God. Adam and Eve lost the breath of God, the Spirit of God, in the fall, and Jesus came back. The Bible says, you know, that Adam was a living being, but the second Adam, being Christ, is a life-giving spirit. Why did we need a life-giving spirit? Because we're dead, right? And so we can't be our own source. And when we become our own source, it really gets, we, we really end up lost. We end up lost. Absolutely. Yeah, we mess it up. That's a good way to say it. And, and so to me, I just feel like we, we need to go back to the Bible and understand some things about who we are and, and how we're made. And, that, and that's where I want to dive in today. So we're, we're kind of in the story of Jacob. I'm going to read pretty much the same text that I read last week. We're just going to talk about it a little bit differently, and then we're going to jump to Galatians in just a minute. Uh, but Jacob, if you remember, the, the three major patriarchs of the Old Testament that you'll hear so much about is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that was Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, right? And then Isaac uh, and Rebekah had Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel, which, and then he has 12 sons, which are where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's who we're talking about. So Jacob, um, and Jacob is born around, really it's pretty easy. A lot of theologians put it at 1996 BC. I remember that because that's when I graduated high school, which seems like it was just 10 years ago. And, uh, Apparently it wasn't. And so anyways, yeah. And so <laughs> I won't take a poll of when you graduated high school. And so you don't ask me and I won't ask you and we'll love each other. All right. So, um, but it's about 2000 BC. And, um, and so then he lives with mom and dad. <laughs> it sounds bad. Until he's 76, y'all. Until he's 76, he lives with mom and dad. That was their culture then. I'm not saying he was living in their tent. I'm sure he had his own tent. I'm sure it was a nice tent by then. He had his own, he had his own tent and he had his own camel and everything was good. Okay. Um, and so anyways, he leaves home. And then at, uh, he goes north. He runs uh, because he had stolen the, the, the birthright by deceiving or the blessing. Well, he bought the birthright with soup. He had stolen the blessing of the firstborn, which was an incredible honor. And the blessing of the firstborn uh, meant that he actually got more. The firstborn received, essentially, if there were two, like in this case, Jacob and Esau, then the firstborn would receive two-thirds of the inheritance and the second born would see one third. And so it was, it was, this is a big deal, right? And so he figures out Esau's going to kill him. And so he runs to uncle Laban's house about 400 miles to the North. Um, and he works with uncle Laban about 20 years and then things kind of get cross. And so with their business dealings, 
And so then he, uh, then he leaves, and he's about to run into Esau, who he thinks wants to kill him. This is 20 years later, obviously. 20 years he's with Laban. And so then this is kind of what happens right before he meets Esau. So the same night, this is verse 22 of Genesis 32. The same night he arose, took his two wives, his two female servants. That's a totally different sermon right there. Two wives, two female servants, his 11 children. It's a... They, somebody said they had a minivan. That's what I'm saying. Anyways, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. Can I just tell you that sometimes being alone is a blessing? Like, you know, sometimes we don't want to be alone. That's okay. You know, one of the things I've found in the culture in which we live, is we live in a culture with so much noise and you're never really alone because you have everybody's life right there in the palm of your hand on social media. Um, and sometimes we don't know how to be alone. Like, like isolation's bad, but solitude's a blessing. Right? Um, and sometimes God needs you to be alone. And sometimes we fight being alone because we don't want to be alone with ourselves. Right? But sometimes God needs us. Some of the greatest things, the greatest moments and the greatest things that God does in our life is actually when we're alone. Sometimes God is fighting so hard to get us alone and we're fighting so hard to never be alone. Anyways, so he was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And when the man saw that he didn't prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled. And then he said, let me go for day is breaking. And Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go if you bless me. We talked about last week naming rights. We said the greatest thing that we can do in our lives is let God name us. And he said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name is no longer Jacob, but Israel, for you've striven with God and with men and prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, tell me your name. He said, why are you asking my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel don't eat the sinew of the thigh that's in the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Isn't that crazy? It's an encounter with God that changed the way they barbecue. That was crazy, isn't it? Like, that's, they don't even, that's how they barbecue now based on this whole thing. That's wild. Uh, I called this message, I called this message, Identity Struggle. Identity Struggle. Um, can we pray together? Father, thank you so much for your word. Um, and your word is truth. And that's why we consult, not just consult your word, but we live on it. We go to it. We conform by it. And so, God, we just start by saying your word is truth. So today, God, as we open truth, God, bring revelation, change our hearts and our lives. Give us clarity. Expose the work of the enemy. All of those things, God, as we wrestle with your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I call it identity struggle. I think that's what I like about the story of Jacob is his whole life is a struggle. I don't know if you can identify with that. Um, I mean, he's like, we, we go back and we read this, I think, in week one. In, in, in the womb of um, Rebecca, Jacob and Esau's mother, like she doesn't know she has twin boys in there, but they were jostling. There was a struggle. Like he, he was struggling before he was even born. And then as he's being born, he's struggling. He's grasping Esau's heel. And then think about this. Before he really ever breathes air, he ends up labeled by the struggles that he's having before he's really even completely born. Sometimes we end up labeled by the struggles that we have. Sometimes we end up labeled by the situations and circumstances through which we came into the world. I, I like it because there's so, so many parallels and so many comparisons that we could make about even how culture and society and how we are, this struggle. I mean, Jacob's whole life is a struggle. He's struggling for place. He's struggling for position. He's struggling for purpose. Like you, you, he's struggling for success. 
And then in Genesis 32, he finally gets to struggle with God. And I don't know if you realize this, but to me, that's a pretty good picture of what happens in and through and after salvation. Like, I, I remember, like, I, I think it would have been so much more helpful if when we went to church, people were more honest about their struggles, right? Because I grew up in a church where it seemed like everybody had it together. They had their church face on and they had their suit and tie on because we used to wear those to church, right? And nothing against them. I'm just saying cultures change, but the church I grew up in, I mean, you had to go get a suit and tie to come to church. Right? And so you're wearing, you know, I mean, I'm four years old Easter. I got a suit and tie on. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm just saying, and, and I remember being a kid and then a teenager and growing up, and it just sounded to me like no one else struggled. And I was struggling my whole life, just like Jacob. I was wrestling with identity or purpose or wrestling with sin or issues or whatever the case may be. I felt labeled by this, felt like culture labeled me by how I looked and labeled me by where I lived and labeled me by what I did do or didn't do. And I just felt late and this whole life is a struggle. And I think sometimes we come to church and if we're not careful because we're used to putting on our church clothes and our church face, we forget that everybody in here is struggling. They're struggling. Like, like I wish people had stood up at church and been honest and say, you know what? I love God, but I drink too much because I could deal with that right? I love God, but I can't stop looking at porn. I could deal with that, right? I love God, but I get really angry. And sometimes even my kids are scared. I, okay. I love God, but I eat way too many Oreos. <laughs> Whatever it is, I could, you know, with, because it would level the playing field a little bit. Because I think what, what the illusion that I bought into, which is ultimately I think one of the things that drove me even that really caused my relationship with God to struggle is I thought I was the only one struggling. I thought I was the only one wrestling. I thought, man, everybody else has it together. What's wrong with me? And if you don't normalize struggling, you're always going to struggle in your relationship with God. Like one of the things we need to do when we're talking about our walk with God is normalize when we read the Bible, everybody struggled. David, a man after God's own heart, struggled. He struggled with lust, right? Like he's on the balcony and he sees a woman bathing and she's obviously bathing, which means she is not clothed. And he goes back inside and gets his royal binoculars and goes back outside again. And he's struggling, right? And she ends up pregnant and he's struggling. And then he has her husband killed because her husband wouldn't. He brings her husband home. Her husband won't sleep with her because he has more character in that moment than the king does. And so then the king's like, I'll just kill him then because I can't get him to sleep with his wife so I can blame the whole thing on him. He's struggling. You think Abraham, I mean, you read any person great in the Bible. This is what's so crazy. It's right there in front of us. Every person in the Bible struggled. Right? Peter, the pillar of the New Testament church, denied Jesus when a little girl asked him who he was. Ever. Sometimes I think we just need to say, okay, because here's, here's what's wrong. And this is kind of where I'm going the whole message and I'm going to make it all make sense. We live in a culture where we say we're not supposed to struggle. In other words, if, if, who, if I feel like who I am contradicts truth, truth is wrong because I'm not supposed to struggle. Because I'm just going to be who I am, how I feel. And what I'm saying is... When we're talking about a relationship with God, we're talking about who we're created to be. I want you to understand. I want you to normalize the concept. It's a struggle. I almost call this message, the struggle is real. 
I want to go to Galatians 5 because Galatians 5, Paul jumps. This is probably the first epistle that Paul actually wrote, probably written um, before like the Jerusalem Council in 49. So it's probably written like in 48 um, AD. And Paul is writing because these believers in Asia Minor, probably the south part of Asia Minor, um, are in a struggle. And they're in a struggle with which gospel is the real gospel. Because Paul had talked to them about the transforming power of grace by the Spirit of God. They're now being taught by Judaism or Judaizers, essentially the practices of Judaism, which is the culture of the law, which essentially is to appease God with our flesh or our own effort. And that's why like one of the best phrases is like, who has bewitched you? You know what I'm saying? Um, it's like if you could put the whole the whole book in a context. That's what Paul's saying. Somebody has messed with you because we started this work by the grace and the transforming power of the Spirit of God, and now you've gone back to doing things in your own flesh. And what he's talking about is a struggle. And what he's actually talking about is the struggle we all live in. And so in Galatians 5, he says this, so I say, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, to me, Jacob, the story of Jacob, this wrestling match that he's having, in some ways, to me, looks like what Paul's talking about in Galatians chapter 5. Because you have this wrestling of identity. Is he Jacob or is he Israel? And you have this wrestling of flesh against spirit. Like, here's Jacob's flesh, and here's the spirit of the person of Christ, the spirit of God, and he's wrestling. And to me, it looks just like this. So Paul's saying, you know what? You're all wrestling, but I say, walk in the spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's the battle. He says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Has anybody in here ever experienced that phenomenon? Right? I... Right? Like, you know, I, I want to go to church, but I want to sleep. You know what I'm saying? It can be that simple. Like, I need to go to prayer or I could eat tacos. They are in conflict with each other. They're in a struggle. Like, when you understand that just like Rebecca, there's two things struggling inside of you. Remember, because Rebecca went to God and said, I don't know what's happening. How many have ever had a Saturday morning where you woke up and said, I don't know what just happened? Because two things were struggling inside of you. That's a good message. <laughs> they are in conflict with each other so, so, that you, you, you are, so that you are not to... They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. I'll explain that in a minute. And then just to be clear on the difference between the way the Spirit leads and the way the flesh leads, he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, adultery, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, enviness, drunkenness, orgies, we just said it in church, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the question is, so, so here's the reality, is what we all have in common. We all have, and this is in common, when it comes to the issues of really being who God created us to be, there's going to be a struggle. Like if you really decide, I want to be who God created me to be, I'm telling you, you're signing up for a struggle. It's not shady and downhill. It's sunny and uphill. Right? It's sunny and uphill. And this is, this is what I want to talk about. So three things really quickly. I say that like y'all believe it. <laughs> like, Pastor, you ain't preached anything really quickly in your life. I know, but there's always today. All right? So, um, so really quickly. So we're trying to figure out where, why we struggle. Let me give you this point. Now, this point in and of itself is a truth, but let me relate it. And when you want to understand why you struggle, number one, you need to understand that you are made in three parts. That we're made in three parts. When Paul's talking here in verse um, 16, he says, So I say, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. He essentially is, is pointing to the idea that we are more than one part. 
right? This is because this is how you end up just like Rebecca with a civil war on the inside of you because you have more than one side, right? In fact, if you want to know, see, I think a big, like, I think if I want to understand who I am, I need to know how I'm made, right? So, so look at Genesis 2 verse 7, because this is how we were made, and I want to show you this. And it says, Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and, the bre- and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Please notice, dust, breath, being. One version said soul. So he said breath, dirt, and soul. Breath, dirt, and soul. So from the very beginning, it's what, it's what we're seeing in creation. Man, just like God is a triune Godhead, we say God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We are triune beings. We are body, dirt, a living being, soul, and breath, spirit. All right? We are body, soul, and spirit. God, God created our bodies to relate to creation. He created our spirits to have fellowship with Him. And He created a soul kind of as the mediator in the two to relate to Him in creation. It's what ties it all together, if you will. So God created us body, soul, um, and spirit. Now, what we need to understand is when, when Adam and Eve um, died, what happened? We need to understand what happened because there was a, not only a way that they died, a progression to the death. Because they said, as soon as you eat this fruit, you will die. You guys remember that verse, right? You will die. But did they die? No. But did they die? Yes. But did they die? No, there's no funeral, but they died, right? We've talked about this. Because ultimately, there was a progression in the way that they died. They died immediately in their spirit. They died progressively in their soul. And they died ultimately in their body. And none of that was God's intent. God did not create us to die. He created us to live. If God created us to die, then the solution to our problem would not be eternal life. Right? So God gives us the gift of eternal life. Why? Because he didn't create us to die. That's why the Bible says that when we come to Christ, we die the first time so that the second death doesn't have power over us anymore. Because ultimately, in becoming alive and dying to ourselves, we, we then gain eternal life so that when we physically ultimately die, we don't actually die. We just move to a new room, if you will. I have the privilege a lot of times to be with families when they're going through loss. And one of the things is when, when we're talking about a believer, I always say, you know, as a believer, this date on the, the headstone, that's not when they died. They died when they accepted Christ. And so what happens, I talk about with my kids many times. Uh, I don't remember if you have little kids and you watch shows or movies with them, they fall asleep on you or on the couch or whatever, and you'd pick them up and you'd take them to their room. And I don't know what it is about kids. You can like shake them and they don't wake up. Like, wouldn't you love to sleep like that as an adult, right? Now a cricket burps and you jump out of bed. Like, what happened? Anyways, but I mean, then you shake them upside down. They're just, you know. And so you pick them up, carry them in the room, put, put their, you know, take the clothes off, put their pajamas on, tuck them in bed. And what I say many times it, 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 at memorial service funerals, like that's exactly what God does. Like when we pass away, it's just the same. The father comes and he says, hey, we've been living at your house together. Now let's go live at my house. And essentially he picks us up, carries us to a new room and reclothes us. Um, and so, so they, they died immediately in their spirit, progressively in their soul, ultimately in their body. So then here's when we're talking about salvation, how does salvation work? The exact same sequence. We're saved immediately. Listen, you've got to understand this is a truth you have to understand if you want to really walk and, under, and walk in who you're created to be and understand the struggle and win. You're saved immediately in your spirit. You're saved progressively in your soul. And you will be saved ultimately in your body. So when we're talking about salvation, because we're a triune being, we have been saved. If you've you've accepted Christ, you have been saved. You are being saved and you will be saved. Here, let let me give you the verses on this. So in your spirit, you have been saved. 
And that's why you cannot be more saved or less saved because there is a completed work of grace in your spirit. Does that make sense? I'll give you some scriptures. Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So just look at that. For one offering, he has perfected forever. So, so I want you to see what the writer of Hebrews is saying because it's perfected. What verb tense is it? Past. And then forever. He has perfected forever. Like this is, this is the power of salvation and the power of grace and understanding that God has completed a work and that my spirit is perfect. In fact, Hebrews 12, 23 says, the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men, justified men or saved men, the spirits of saved men made perfect. Like you need to understand because if you can understand that salvation is a settled issue, you're not trying to be saved. You're not trying to get saved. Like you have to understand the completed work of grace that has transpired in your spirit when you accept Christ. And it is a finished work and it is a complete work and it is a perfect work and you don't add to it or take from it. And that work does not happen by your performance. You can't be good enough to get saved. If you could be good enough to get saved, Jesus Christ would not have come. So if I cannot be made perfect by my performance, then I, once I'm saved, I cannot lose my perfected spirit by my performance. This is why it's good, and this is why it's grace, and this is what you need to understand. When we are talking about the perfect work of grace in your spirit, it is not by your performance, meaning if you can't gain it and you can't qualify yourself for it, you cannot disqualify yourself for, from it. Because if you always think that what I do determines the state of my salvation, then you'll never be able to accept your struggle. Like in a culture of grace, two things happen in a culture of grace. Righteousness grows and unrighteousness grows. Because in a culture of grace, my position with God is not based on my performance. And once I remove the pressure of my performance from my relationship with God and understand that he became sin and I have become the righteousness of God in Christ, then, then my mistakes do not change my position with God. And from that position, I am finally free to deal with the unrighteousness without condemnation. Do you understand how good that is? Right? That, that, that now, listen, now I can't, you know what blows my mind about Jacob is because God shows up and says, you're not Jacob, you're Israel. But there are several times after Genesis 32 where God identifies himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and why not Israel? You changed his name. Because God, listen, because God is so rich in grace and so perfect in power and understanding what he's done, God is not scared of your struggle. God can embrace Jacob knowing he's Israel. This is a great message. It was not this good yesterday. Are you understanding? So, so there's this perfect work of grace in your spirit, but then your soul is being saved. Hebrews 10, 39, but to those who, who, who draw back to perdition, uh, but, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of our soul. Well, wait a second. How can I be perfect and saved, yet I need to be saved? Because we're not talking about your spirit. Now we're talking about your soul. Right? Remember Hebrews... 1014 is one of the best ones. I read it just a second ago, but it says, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. This is talking about spirit and soul. He has perfected forever your spirit, your soul though, under construction. We used to sing this song, he's still working on me. Anybody else sing that song? If so, I'll skip the verses. 
right? It took him just a week to make the moon and stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How lovely and impatient he must be. <laughs> Think about that, how lovely and impatient. Some of you can testify to the patience of God in your life because he hasn't killed you yet. <laughs> That's my testimony. If I'd have been God, I'd probably not. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> if I'd have been God, I might not would have made it this far. You understand what I'm saying? But he is like a perfect... But then we're being saved. Psalm, Psalm 19, 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. James 1, 21, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So our spirit is saved, our soul is being saved, and then what about the body? Well, it's kind of a long text, but 1 Corinthians 15, 50, it says, now, that, now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption, but I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trump will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed for this corruption or corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So here's what he's saying. I have been saved. I am being saved. My body will be saved. Mortality is going to put on in immortality, right? Corruption is going to put on incorruption. That's why at, at the appearing of Jesus. That's why I said we all have we all don't know exactly who we are because we're going to know when we see him and we're going to be changed to look like him. He's talking about our, our bodies are being saved. So so we're created in three parts. And what we have to understand is God never intended for us to relate to him without a spirit. He doesn't intend for us to relate to him only based on the soul. Our soul also has three parts, our mind, our will, and our emotions, right? And, and while those things were created by God and given us by God, God never intended for us to try to understand or know or have a relationship with God solely based on how we feel, what we can think, and what desires or decisions we make, Right? No, because God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The, the way God intended for us to relate to him was through our spirit. Another way to say this is God didn't intend for us just to live based on our soul are based from our soul, just our mind, our will, and our emotions. That is not how we're supposed to be. But, but if we don't understand, listen to me, if, if we don't understand, and this is, I'm going to say something that is a good theological thing that you need to know. If we don't understand, like we will never understand grace and faith and works and salvation until we understand the completed work of Jesus or the completed work of grace in our spirit and the progressive work of grace in our soul. Like you're not going to struggle well until you realize there's a couple of things going on. And you can be 100% saved and still struggle. In fact, everybody does. Right? I, I used to love those testimonies growing up. You know, I just got saved. And the moment I got saved, I just never, cre I, I never wanted another drink. I think that's great. That kind of stuff happens. Praise God for the power of salvation, right? And as soon as I got saved, this forever changed. And that's true with all of us. As soon as we get saved, something changes. But not everything changes. My spirit was made perfect. My soul, still a hot mess. Are you with me? And so we have to understand that, that, that we are three parts, which this will make some things make sense. Like, like, have you ever read scripture and you're like, I don't know if that's true to form in my life. For instance, 2 Corinthians 15, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Have you ever felt like I'm, I'm in Christ, but there's some old stuff I'm still dealing with I wish would pass away? I mean, this, this is what makes it make sense. Uh, 8, 837, we are more than conquerors. Have you ever felt like, I don't feel like more than a conqueror? My life doesn't look like I'm conquering, even though the word of God can't be a lie. It's true, but it's, it says I'm more than a conqueror, but I sure feel like less than a conqueror today. Right? What, what about saying in Corinthians 2 where Paul says, and we are, we are always made to triumph? Did you ever have a day where you feel like, I don't think I'm winning? 
Like, I don't think I won. I don't, you know. And then what about this one? This is a good one. When John, 1 John 3, 9 says, whatever is born of God does not sin. I'm going to ask a question. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because somebody lying, God will get you. But have you, once you have been saved, has anybody ever sinned? And if you're like, no, then I'm going to tell you right now, that's your sin right there. <laughs> Number one, you're a liar. Number two, you're in denial. But it said, whatever's born of God does not sin. Well, here's why. Because my spirit always conquers. Right? My spirit always triumphs. My spirit, everything old has passed away and everything has become brand new in my spirit. And in my spirit, I never sin, but I got a soul. I'm a soul man. Right? We're made in three parts. And, and when we understand we're made in three parts, so we need to understand the reason we struggle, we're made in three parts. Right? And, and, and also, we need to understand that the struggle doesn't change our relationship with God because we're made in three parts. Oh, this is good. All right? So second thing. All right? Very clear point. We struggle. So let's talk about it. This is the second thing. So, so, so we're made in three parts. And number two, we struggle. Look at what Paul says. Galatians 5.16, or I'm sorry, 5.17. It says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to flesh. You know one of the greatest things that I love in the Bible is Romans chapter 7. Most people don't talk a lot about Romans chapter 7 because most people talk about Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8, I will say, is, is probably my favorite favorite chapter in the whole Bible. It's got all the good stuff in it, right? I mean, there's therefore no known condemnation. Those walk, you know, I mean, it starts there. You know, what can separate us from the love of God? You know, we're, we're more than a conqueror. You know, if, Christ, if God didn't withhold his son, but, but gave him, freely gave him up for all, how will we not also with him freely give us all things? I mean, there is some great stuff. Half of what you see on Instagram comes from Romans 8. <laughs> But you know what I love about Romans 7? I remember in Bible school, I had to take a class just on, on, on the epistle to the Romans. The epistle to the Romans. We can't just say the book of Romans because we're in Bible school. The epistle to the Romans. The Pauline epistle to the Romans. But um, most of the final was over Romans chapter 7. I mean, the professor was horrible. But well, it, he wasn't bad. He was a smart man. He was just grumpy. And I, you know, and I, I don't, I mean, how many want to hang out with Eeyore? It was like being taught about one of the greatest works of writing in the world, right? Like the, the, the Rome, I mean, and, and quite frankly, the greatest um, revelation of grace is, you know, Romans. And it was like being taught by Eeyore. <laughs> well, get out your Bible. I'm like... We need to, like, maybe you need to go teach Philippians about the joy of the Lord and stuff like that. You need to get to Philippians. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, we had to talk about Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, Paul, arguably the greatest apostle that ever lived, says, sometimes the things I really am supposed to do and want to do, I don't do. And then the things that I'm not supposed to do, I actually do. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. And I don't know about you, but that gives this boy hope. Because brother wrote 25% of the New Testament. Right? And yet he's like, I struggle. I struggle because I'm more than one part. I, I struggle. See, see, the reality is... The reality is that, that God created, think about it, he created Adam and he's like takes this, this, this body of dirt and he breathes into it this breath of life and this thing becomes this living soul. And the way Adam was supposed to live was he's supposed to live through, through impulses and wisdom and knowledge that comes by the Spirit, right? No one taught Adam to name all the animals, Right? Like he, God just said, you know, we're going to play a game. Kind of like you used to play match with your kids or something like that. What, cow, what sound does the cow make? You know, I mean, we used to do that. And, and God's like, with this thing, we're going to play a game. Only he didn't give him any clue. He just said, here's this. And Adam's like, cow. <laughs> like, how did he know that? Giraffe. The duck-billed platypus. That's, that's, hey, that's graduate level. Right? But I mean, but, but he lived by the Spirit. So the wisdom of God, the, the, the information, the understanding, all this stuff is coming by the Spirit in him. So God created us, listen, to be ruled by the Spirit. 
That's why, that's why Paul is saying uh, to the Galatians, he's like, hey, the spirit and the flesh are contrary, but he's saying you need to walk by the spirit. In other words, be ruled by the spirit. And, and the problem is, but when Adam died, what did he immediately lose? The spirit. So then Adam began living by the soul. And the soul became the supreme ruler. Come on, Star Wars. The soul became the supreme ruler of the being of man, and God never intended that. And so man now lives, lived by, and still some do, live by whatever we can think, whatever we desire, right? And whatever we feel. And here's what you need to understand. That is not the way you find identity. Because that was never who you were created to be. And that was not. Adam knew who he was by the Spirit of God, not by how he thought, not by how he felt, not by what he desired. Are you with me? But this is why we all struggle. There's, there's this, um, this picture of Jacob. And I think when you see this picture of Jacob, to me, it looks like the struggle of the soul because the soul is all about self-preservance, right? Your soul just wants to be what it is, do what it is, get what it wants, feel what it wants, think what it wants. It just wants to be in charge. Like when David said, like David would talk to his soul and he said, I've, you know, I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child. And we read that and say, isn't that so nice? Have you ever been around a child when you're trying to wean a child? It's not like pleasant. They scream. Do you know why they scream? Because they think you're trying to starve them to death. They think you're trying to kill them. And they're like, Aah! you know what I'm saying? Like, Aah! you know? And David's like, I got to talk to my soul because it's screaming right now. That's what that verse really says. My soul is acting up, right? Because this is a struggle. You weren't created. You, listen, you weren't created to live by yourself. And when you see Jacob, you see this fight for self-preservation. And you see this fight to be first. And you see this fight to steal the blessing of the firstborn because I just want to be first. Like I'm always trying to make my way in the world today. I want what I want. I do what I do. I think what I think. I feel what I feel. I get what I desire. Like this is what it's like to live by the soul, which is why Paul is saying, hey, you can't live this way. In fact, to the Ephesians, he would write, and you were dead in trespasses and sin, and once you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience. Look at verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. Here's what Paul's saying. We're not supposed to live this way. And he's saying, in fact, he tells you three reasons why we all struggle this way. He's like, you were dead. You walk after the world. You're following the evil one. And that's why you're living by passions and carrying out the desires of your body and your mind. And, and, and by nature, you're the children of man. Because we have to understand, our soul is selfish. It looks out for us. Our soul is carnal. Carnal means of the senses. That's what it means. In fact, Paul wrote um, to the Corinthians and he said, I can't speak to you as spiritual, but you're still carnal. In other words, he's like, you're Christian concarnate. Like you're Christians, but you're carnal. And he's like, I can't even talk to you as I need to talk to you because you should be eating meat, but, but you're still babes. Why? Because you're still, you're believers, but you're still living by your soul. And that is not the way that you're supposed to live. It's not the way God designed us. In fact, um, to, to the Romans in Romans 8, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the thing of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is an enemy of God. Look at that. What it means is I can't be me living by the flesh. I can't be who God created me to be living by the soul, if you will. Like, I can't be who God, I can't do what God wants me to do, living by the soul. I want you to understand, and this is what I need you to understand, and this is what I want everybody to understand. Like, yes, we are saved by grace, 
But there is, then our soul has to be saved by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And it is natural for my soul to want something that I don't, I'm not supposed to want. It is natural for my soul to have desires that I don't need to have. It is natural for my mind to think things that don't line up with the Spirit of God. We call those strongholds. Because we have a generation saying, well, you know, because God made me and I feel this way, this must be how I am. No, we all feel ways contrary to how God made us. Well, because this is what I feel attraction to, this must be who I am. The problem is you're still trying to get your identity from the dirt and not the breath. Because the normal Christian life is about conflicting desire, soul, and spirit. That's normal. I I wish I could tell you the day that, listen, the reason I struggled was I got saved and I still had thoughts that Jesus wouldn't think, as my youth pastor used to say. Are you thinking things Jesus wouldn't think? I'm like, I'm like 13. What do you think? I didn't even come here to learn about God. I came here because she was coming. <laughs> Some of you were laughing. You did the same thing. Some of you are in church today because you were chasing somebody that went to church. Praise God for missionary. I'm just, no, please, that's terrible. <laughs> the point is that when we normalize the fact that, yes, just because I'm saved, it doesn't change everything about me. And there's still a struggle and we normalize the struggle. And then we say this, just because I desire it and I've been saved doesn't make it God's best. Just because I want it and I've been, just because I'm attracted to it, just because I crave it doesn't make it who I am. I need to get my identity from the spirit of God, not the dirt. Are you with me? So, so here's the last thing. So our soul must surrender. He says this, but if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, Paul is talking to people who are trying to please God with their souls, essentially, right? But, but either way, he's still, saying, he's still saying the context is, the difference is being led by the spirit or being led by the soul. Like, I don't know if you know this, you can't please God by the soul any more than you can live righteously by the soul. And so whether we're talking about the soul craving bad things or the soul doing good things, either way, it's just the soul doing things and life comes by the spirit and identity comes by the spirit. Are you, are you, are you tracking with me? And so what he's saying is you have to be led by the spirit. So here's the natural work. This is how the soul is, is transformed, if you will, in our lives, right? Because the Bible says what? Be transformed by the renewing of our mind, right? That's our mind or will. That's what we're talking about, the soul. How does that happen? We have to choose to be led by the Spirit of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, right, are not under the law. Meaning we've abandoned trying to live by the soul. We're going to be led by the Spirit of God. But to be led, how many know to be led, you have to surrender. Does, Does that make sense? There's this principle in Genesis 25, 23 in the story of Jacob. It's a biblical principle. In fact, Paul references it in Romans chapter 9. But it's when God is explaining to Rebekah the battle inside and said, The Lord said, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one was stronger than the other. But look at this. The older shall serve the younger. Same thing Paul quotes in Romans 9. The older shall serve the younger. It's, it's a spiritual principle because think about it this way. It doesn't matter when you got saved. Your soul was older than your spirit. Like if you got saved when you were 40, you had 40 years of a soul being in charge. And then all of a sudden the spirit moves in. Right? And they're not always great roommates. In fact, not at all are they great roommates. Just like Jacob and Esau in the womb, now you got a fight going on in your womb or inside of you anyway. That could get weird. (laughs) Let's go with inside of you for 300, Alex. Thank you. Right? And so we have to, listen, this is, this is how we live. We acknowledge there's a struggle. We acknowledge I'm going to desire things that are not godly. And I've got to decide that desire is not how I, the desires of the flesh will never lead me to righteousness. You can desire something and be 100% wrong. 
You can crave something and be 100% wrong. You can be attracted to someone and be 100% wrong. Right? This is, and I'm not trying to not be sympathetic. I understand attraction is real. But I'm just saying, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual or any other kind of attraction, the fact that you feel it doesn't make it righteous because the flesh does not lead us to the righteousness of God. Hence Paul's whole letter to the Galatians. We have to learn to be led by the Spirit, which means this word we don't like because nowadays we like identity through self-assertion, not identity through denial. See, the Bible teaches identity through self-denial. In fact, Jesus did. I'm going to read you two verses. Well, one verse. Well, two. It's two. Two different gospels, same verse. Right? The gospel teaches finding out who we are by self-denial in a culture where we're saying, no, be who you are by self-assertion. Look at what Jesus said. It's, it's not one of the famous verses. Everybody's heard it. No one likes it. Matthew 16, 24. But Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. We live in a culture where a lot of Christians, they're like, well, I'm a Christian, but they're not denying anything about self. And Jesus said to come after me, it means you're going to have to deny yourself. And you're going to have to take up a cross. And you're going to have to follow me. This is what he said the Christian life looks like. Oh, I thought the Christian life was where God showed up and just told, gave me a trophy for participation and told me whatever I did, it was covered by him and everything was wonderful. And I didn't have to, I didn't have to modify any desires. I didn't have to struggle. I, I didn't have to take on things that didn't look like the word of God. I didn't have to take on things that the Holy Spirit was convicting me. I thought, you know, I could just be me, but be, you know, covered under fire insurance. Like, I won't go to hell because I prayed a prayer, but I can live however I want to live because this is the way God made me. No, the way God made you is to be perfect in your spirit. Problem is, you've been living with your soul in charge, and your soul apart from him was messed up. And the normal Christian, listen to me, the normal Christian life is about denying desires and thoughts and feelings that contradict with the Spirit and the Word of God. That's the normal Christian life. It's the struggle we all live in. It is abnormal, according to the writers of the New Testament, God himself and Jesus Christ, to say, because I'm saved, that I'll never struggle, and whatever I feel is just how God made me. No, that is not correct. I've had some feelings, I promise you, were not born of the Spirit. I have had some thoughts this week that I promise you were not born of the Spirit. Right? It's, it's not normal. When Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, some people say, well, I thought Jesus carried my cross. He did. He carried the cross of your salvation. You carry the cross of your sanctification. He carried the cross that saves your spirit. You carry the cross that saves your soul. It is taking up that cross, which is finding my identity in the work of Christ. Not finding my identity in how I feel, not finding my identity in what I think or what I want. No, I'm going to find my identity by being conformed to the image of Jesus. So I'm going to take up a cross because he took up a cross. Are you with me? His cross saved my spirit. My cross redeems my soul. And this is what we're called to. And by the way, let me give y'all have time for one more thing. Okay. And the, one of the tools that we have, because we were like, well, a led of the spirit, you know, what does that mean? Well, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, pray, you know, Jesus, would you do this? You know, I mean, we can ask him questions, but God has given us the word of God. Can I show you something? Just one more thing. Like, how do I deny myself? How do I figure out the difference between these two? Look what the writer of Hebrews says, which some people think is Paul. You can think whatever. I don't know. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Look at this, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. Listen to me very carefully. You do not read the word of God. The word of God reads you. 
of the joints and marrow and the discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now watch, watch this verse 13 because people get that verse and they miss this one. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. One word says open. So, so here's what, think about this. Here's what the word of God does. The word of God shows me what is me and what is him. It divides these two. Because all enmeshed, right? Sometimes I'm like, I don't know, is that me or is that God? Here's the great thing. God has given us the word of God. This is what the psalmist said. Your word is perfect, converting the soul, changing and transforming my mind and my will and my emotions. And here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. It's like, we have the word of God and it does surgery. Like you can't trust your heart. We know that from Jeremiah because the heart is deceitfully a wicked above all things, right? I can't always trust myself, but I can always trust the word of God. And if I will get in the word of God, it will teach me how to walk according to the spirit. It will teach me how to live. And you know that verse 13 where it said everything is exposed? That word in the Greek is trachelizo, which if you think about trach, right? Sometimes you can get a hint from words just how they sound. So in the Greek it's trachelizo, which, which actually means to, to, to tilt the head back and expose the gullet right before you take someone's head off. Here's what I'd like to say. God has some good plans for your soul. <laughs> and here we are. Like, I want to live by my soul. And God's like, I'm trying to crucify that soul. Like, I'm trying to kill that thing so you can live and be who you're supposed to. And he gives us the word of God. And the word of God exposes the thoughts and intents of the heart and divides the soul and the spirit because the struggle is real and we need navigational beacons. And you know what navigational beacons are? They're truth. Right? They're truth. I remember, I'll close with this. I remember uh, years ago, my dad had a bass boat and I used to do a lot of fishing. I didn't do much catching, but I really enjoyed the fishing. And uh, just being out on the lake where your phone didn't work and, you know, fishing. Some of you understand that. But I remember, you know, you'd stay out <clears throat> and uh, you're cutting through some of the creeks and those type of things. They have boat roads because those creeks are shallow sometimes. You know, they may only be two or three foot deep sometimes. And they're stumps. And so they cut a boat road and they mark it with poles that are navigational guides so that you can get in and out of those areas without losing a motor, you know, to a stump or crashing or sinking or whatever. And those navigational directional poles that they put up, they call it the boat road. That's truth. That's reality. What they're saying, as long as you operate inside of this, you're safe. But if you get outside of this running 30, 40, 50 miles an hour on the lake, you're not going to be safe because you hit a stump with your motor running 50 miles an hour it's not going to be a good day. What a blessing it is to have truth and know where it's clear, where there's a clear path where you're safe. And what they're saying is when they put those up, they're like, this is not relative. You can prove us right if you want to, but it'd be smarter just to stay in the boat road. Here's what the word of God is. It says, this is truth. And inside of this, you're safe. Stay inside the road. That's what the Word of God says. The Word of God does not care how you feel. It does not care what you think. It doesn't care that, that sometimes we want to be our own source of righteousness. The Word of God says unequivocally, this is truth. Walk in this and you're going to be safe. We've got a culture that wants to make up their own truth and they're crashing left and right. We need the Word of God, which is alive and active we need it to come and divide our soul and spirit and even our thoughts and intentions of our own heart to tell us, no, that's outside the road. That's outside the road. This is safe. This is inside the road. It's the identity struggle, but God has not left us as orphans. He's given us the Holy Spirit and the Word of God so we can be and become and do what He's created us for. Amen. Can you give God praise today? Why don't you stand? I'm going to ask our prayer team. I know I went a little bit long. I am so sorry. Um, so we're going to move fast. So I want our prayer team to come. And then I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to tell you today, if you need a relationship with Jesus, right? If you're outside the boat road, right? And you need a relationship with Jesus, we want you to come in just a minute.
And anyone who needs prayer, we want you to come. All right? Father, I just thank you so much for your truth. And God, as we have heard your word, it is perfect. God, I pray for all of us. God, show us, show us truth. Show us where we're outside the road and help us to get back inside. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that, that although we may struggle, you have given us a spirit to be victorious and you've given us a word so that we can win. God, I pray for all of us that we would struggle and wrestle well and we wouldn't let go until you've named us and until you've blessed us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. We love, yeah, you can praise God in this house. We love you. If you need prayer, please come. Otherwise, please go get your children. God bless you.